Marxism is everywhere. It is all around us. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when others are too afraid to speak their mind. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. I offer you a choice, a choice between two worlds. Take the blue pill and continue living in the world of complacency and indifference. Or take the red pill. Join us in a world where patriots come together to fight for freedom. What the elites don't want you to know is that there are 200,000 open committee man seats in the Republican Party. These party members are the ones who determine the future of the GOP. The precinct strategy will teach you what it takes to help elect America First candidates who share your love of country and a vision for a better America. Will you take the blue pill and continue living in a world where a corrupt few control everything? Or will you take the red pill and join us? Let's take our country back, one precinct at a time. Choose wisely. Your future depends on it. Sign up at precinctstrategy.com now. Welcome back. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's David Penn here again, guest hosting. Please call me crazy. This is episode number 76. 76. And I have the honor and the privilege of being with you yet again. I want to share that our valiant Royce White is in such high demand. He couldn't make it back. I was very upset with him, but I'm happy to sit in for him. And he had a very rational explanation. He's being asked to appear everywhere all the time. He's playing on the first place team of the big three. He's peaking. I mean, people just want to, he's, there's tweets going out that are getting millions of views. And uh, he was on uh, Jason Whitlock's Fearless. If we have any fearless audience members joining us tonight, I want you to know Royce was in studio four times last week. He just appeared on Rudy, Rudy Giuliani's podcast. He's just being called hither, there, and yon, everywhere. So uh, we're going to um, develop some capacity in the studio so that Royce can do his Please Call Me Crazy appearances on a remote basis. We're going to have to work on the technology a little bit. Thank you for being patient with us. We're a new media company here, and uh, we have a lot of technology to get under our belt. You know, this is, uh, seems simple. When I watch it, it seems simple. Actually, it's quite complex. and. Um, we want to do it right. So Royce is going to develop this capacity. We're going to stay in the groove with you. And I'm, I'm trying to fill in as best I can. I'm trying to make it interesting. Thank you for joining. Please go over to the Professor Penn podcast, click that subscribe button and join that community because we are the free people radio family. We're a community. We're a community that's involved with truth media. We're seeking the truth. I say it every time. And I just want to uh, digress. You know, I'm in a role where I am changing as a human being very quickly. This is a really uh, challenging uh, road that I've chosen for myself, and I did make a choice. And uh, I'm finding myself ill-equipped to deal with the uh, challenges and the opportunities that face me. And I'm making mistakes left, right, and center, 
and I apologize for the ones that I make. I know I'm not supposed to apologize on a podcast, but I mean, the, the knowledge that's coming to me or the insights that are coming to me are just overwhelming and it, it's revealing for me my shortcomings. I'll just give you a, a, just a short vignette about this. I spoke recently about a friend of mine in California and uh, we're very, very close. I mean, super close. And we, we share a, a deep bond and we had uh, not an argument. We had a little bit of a set to. We, we're, we're, we're really aligned, but from opposite sides of the football. He's actually a Californian, need I say more. But he's a very intelligent man. And we had a little bit of a, a disagreement, not a disagreement. We just, we just had a, a, it wasn't even a rift. And I made up this huge story in my mind because he usually calls me every morning as he's driving in. And he didn't call me one day, two days. I mean, we always talk on the weekend, sometimes two, three times on the weekends. We're brothers after all. And he didn't call me, and he didn't call me, he didn't call me last week, he didn't call me over the weekend, he didn't call me Monday and Tuesday, and he called me this morning. And I have to tell you, I was absolutely horrified at myself, because I'd made up this big story in my mind about why he wasn't calling me. And why he wasn't calling me was, he had surgery last week. Oh, I was horrified. And it's, it's, it's the classic um, example of me doing what I'm asking us not to do as a community. I made a story up that had nothing to do with reality. I was so far from truth, and I, I didn't call him up and scream at him or accuse him of anything. I was just sitting here creating this narrative in my mind, which had nothing to do with the facts of the case. And I apologized to him, but I really, for myself, it's like, my gosh, I'm talking to you about not judging lest you be judged. Let us not predict the future. Let us open up the opportunity for miracles. And look at me. Look at me. Well, that's because I'm a sinner. I suck. But my heart is in the right place. I am trying with all my will to live up to the opportunity that I have to speak with you and really to lead a movement here in Minnesota. I am amongst the leaders of the freedom movement here in Minnesota. And I'm giving you this self-revelatory moment. You know, I don't have to. I'm doing it because this is how I improve as a human being. I recognize my errors. I do not think I'm all that. I think I'm just inadequate to the task. And I'm praying, and I believe that I'm going to receive all the insights that I need and all the support that I need that God wants me to have so that I can continue to work forward to create this community so that we as a community can change this country. I have high ambitions, high ambitions. And that's why I'm going to say, you're going to start seeing in your feeds, small one minute and five minute clips. We need to send this out. This is crowdsourcing. We need to create a community. I have a certain number of people that I'm involved with, hundreds of people, thousands of people. And I post my videos up in our group uh, chats, and I'm urging my associates to send it out to their networks, and I'm urging you to do the same thing. And what's so cool about this is you're an editor. When you take on the mantle of being part of the crowdsourcing, you decide what you want to share with your friends and neighbors, and then you urge them. You become a salesman. 
you're selling them on the idea of sending it out to their friends and relatives. This is the way we're going to beat these people. They have complete control of the uh, mechanisms of information distribution. For example, if I run a follow YouTube, just a little bit, hey, they shut me off and give me a strike. What I said might be inaccurate. That's true. I'm not saying I know the truth, but I'm searching for the truth. And there are certain subjects that we can't even broach. Okay, great. Get it. It's your platform. You own it. And I'm going to play by your rules because I want to be a YouTube community member. But that doesn't mean that there isn't many other avenues of distribution, the most important of which is me talking to my neighbor, me talking to my child, me talking to my brother, my brother in California. Instead of making up stories about why he wasn't talking to me, I thought we had a little breach over politics. The man had surgery, and he didn't tell me. And I was mad at you about that. When you have surgery, well, he's going to say, it was just day surgery, it was in and out. He didn't want to worry me. Great. You know what? I have anxiety. Please call me crazy. I worry about the people I love. Do you worry about the people you love? Do you care about them? I mean, do you have people that you love? That you and Are there people in your life that actually care about you? I hope so, because I'm going to say this again. We are an American family. We're a community. We've got to take this seriously. We've been turned into a bunch of warring tribes by intellectuals at our elite institutions that did this to advance cultural Marxism and tear our country apart, and they've done a sensational job. Sensational. And I'm not going to let these people win. I'm actually going to do things that are important, like knowing my neighbors, like being friendly with young Tanner here, who's 40 years younger than me. I'm trying to be friends with you, Tanner. It's kind of the odd couple, but hey, we're working on it, right? Yeah, we're doing good. It's great. I want to thank Free People for Free People Radio for giving us this uh, this platform. Uh, Royce and I appreciate it. And there's other content coming on. We're a full-blown media company aimed at spreading the process of seeking the truth. That's what we're doing, truth media. And then we really depend on what? The patriot economy. That is you, our audience, our community, the people that we love, that we're working with together to have a good outcome for the United States of America. We must support the people and the businesses that are supporting truth media because truth media plus the patriot economy is going to equal freedom and the continuation of this great republic we live in, which affords us minority rights. I can think and say what I believe. I can assemble freely. I can earn money or not. I have freedom of choice. And if our opponents get their way, they're going to narrow that freedom of choice down till it's, till it's gone. And let me tell you why they're going to do that. Because underneath all the levels of communists and Nazis and liberals and socialists and academics at the very bottom, the very bottom of the rabbit hole, when you take that red pill, is a bunch of Satanists. And why they want to eliminate free will is because it's a gift from my creator. They want to sever the relationship between human beings and the father of all creation. 
and they're very serious about it. And boy, are they making progress full speed. So I want to thank our sponsors, our first sponsor, TireGet.com. That's TireGet, T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com. 14,000 different kinds of tires in stock for all your tire needs for any vehicle that you have. You go there, the price is right. And when you buy those tires that you need to run your life from TireGet, it's a win-win. You're supporting this station, this broadcast, and the Patriot economy. I want to thank our new sponsors, MyBookie.com. Hey, place a bet. Put some skin in the game. Have a good time. Nobody said you can't loosen up a little bit. If, you, if you're betting, MyBookie.com. We're going to talk about it later today. And ghost bed. Ghost bed. Nothing's more important than restful sleep. Something that I need to work on. So I want to thank our sponsors. And PrecinctStrategy.com. PrecinctStrategy.com, where you can go to get a tutorial for everything you need to get into the game of politics. We're going to be interviewing Dan Schultz soon here in the studio. Uh, it's very interesting, very good story, gripping, gripping content that we can all share and enjoy. Excuse me, share and enjoy. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. You know, I'm practicing my prayer. I have to say I've never prayed in this fashion, in this kind of digital medium. You know, when you pray in a, in a faith community, there's kind of a pray-off, right? It's Darwinism in the in the chapel. Who's the most holy person? What a scam that is. Who did Jesus hang around with? Prostitutes and tax collectors. The scum of the society. Why were they the scum of the society? Hey, they weren't in on it. They were not in on it. You know, a collector, when they say a tax collector, it's a collector. It's muscle. They're going to collect the cash. A prostitute. These people were not on the payroll Upstream, they were way down at the end of the trough getting the leftovers. They were not holy people that were into putting on a show-and-tell story for others. And when I say that I'm maturing as a, as a human being, that I'm getting the benefit of being in this role with you, I'd like to give up all my ego. I would like to talk to you just from my heart with no intellectualizing, no... No fronting, no, no 
no prancing and preening. I like being funny, and uh, I am who I am. But who I am is changing because I've given over. And this is what we need to do as a society. Remember, President Kennedy in 1961, he was all over this thing. He said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Wow. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And I suddenly found myself asking myself that question because I see tyranny descending on us like a shroud. And I made this transition in my own life from narcissism, because after all, I am a boomer and a more narcissistic group of people. You can't find them. The boomers, hey, narcissists. If you had a, a generational diagnosis, narcissists. And I'm trying to encourage people in my cohort and all of us to make that transition from narcissism to altruism, because when we become altruistic, we open ourselves up to the great energy system. We're not closed. We're not just thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about the whole system, which means the whole system can inform us, nourish us, lift us up. Our well-being is enhanced through altruism. Let us remember that narcissism is the core concept of Darwinism, survival of the fittest. It's all about me. It's all about me. And they eliminated the crown's intellectual tradition, eliminated Kropotkin, who at the very same time Darwin was talking about a survival of the fittest in terms of a competition for scarce resources, Kropotkin was talking about love and altruism as an alternative cultural mechanism to enhance people's survival. So we've got narcissism and altruism. We've got yang and yin. That's just the way it is. We've got these polarities. And as a great philosopher said, and I know I've been saying this lately and I'm saying it again because I, I want to contemplate this. If I am not for myself, who will be? But if I am only for myself, what am I? If I am not for myself, who will be? But if I am only for myself, what am I? Everything is about finding balance. That's why we've got this phenomenal tradition from the East, the yin-yang philosophy, which is all about balance. It's all about balance. We have to understand that our world has many contributing ideological in philosophical traditions. And when we're cut off from a tradition, even our own tradition, how many of us have read the Old Testament? I mean, really read it and thought about it. How many of us read the New Testament? How many of us have read St. Thomas Aquinas or have read all the post-Enlightenment philosophers all the way up to the current existential philosophers? How many in the post-modernists? How many people in the audience do this? You know, when we are taught not to learn, not to study, not to pray, that we have other things to do. And I, I mean, I look at the feeds on my smartphone. I do. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not some kind of transcended being. I'm just a regular grundoon. But I put a lot of time into the study and the research and the prayer 
because I know it's important to my well-being. And for those of you who haven't started down this road, I will assure you, I will promise you, just as I promised you, if you pray, thank you, God and King of all worlds, for granting me faith. If you put your time into study and prayer and you find it for yourself, you're going to be a healthier person and you're going to be a competent person who can get involved in this fight. And that's critical. Okay, let's do a little a little update on Mr. Royce. Mr. Royce is on his way to his next big event. He's going to be podcasting and appearing constantly. Catch him on Fearless. He's coming back here soon when we get the technology right. I think we have that uh, upgrade coming next Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yep, that's right. So we're, we're, we're adding some capacity here in the studio. And uh, in the meantime, Royce is playing on the power in the big three. They're four and one. They're in first place. Royce is leading across the board on the stats. I don't say he's the first in every category, but if you add up his performance in aggregate, hard to find a person who's not uh, more valuable than him. I mean, he's valuable. Four and one, first place. Their next game is this Sunday. The uh, Power are going to be playing the enemies in Game 3, live on CBS Sports, Sunday afternoon. I'd estimate that to be about 4 o'clock Central Standard Time, 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, if you're watching me from the East Coast, and I hope you are. The enemies are coming into this game with a 3-2 and two record. So we got a 4-1 and one team with a 3-2 and two team. This could be another epic game. And Royce is putting a lot into his basketball this year, and I'm having a hell of a good time watching him play. So I'm going to have to say that I have to put some skin in the game and go to mybookie.com. Now, mybookie.com, I've been to the website, frictionless. It is very customer-friendly. And I have to tell you, as a business person, when I see a customer-friendly website, I salute our sponsors, mybookie.com. This is a very easy to use, very hip website. Whatever your game is, whatever you're interested in laying down a little bet on, you can get it done on mybookie.com. And further, when you go there, if you put in upward slash Royce, mybookie.com upward slash Royce, and use promo code Royce, you're going to get yourself a welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's correct. When you use that promo code Royce, you're going to get extra funds that are redeemable all the way up to $1,000. Now you ask yourself, I'm selling here for mybookie.com. Is it a little incongruous as, as erudite and as sophisticated as these conversations get? No, it's not. The most important thing I can do as an American citizen is support the patriot economy. That would be those businesses that are supporting the truth media. So I'm a supporter of mybookie.com. And even if you're not a better, go there and give them a little action. Nobody said give up the farm. I'm not saying go broke on the deal. I'm saying go to mybookie.com and support this very valuable company and put in promo code Royce, please, and give them a little action and put a bet down on this next game coming up Sunday. You can watch it on CBS Sports. It's going to enhance your viewing. You're going to have skin in the game, and we're going to be supporting a very valuable company that's supporting freedom in the United States of America, and God bless them for doing so. Let's remember Don Corleone. 
Don Corleone said, I don't want to be in the drug business. That's a little bit risky. But betting is a harmless vice. And as a matter of fact, if we don't become addicted to it, it is a harmless vice. I was just talking to one of my business associates. I was talking to him about a matter of international concern. And I said, this is what's going to happen. He said, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. And I'm going to tell you what it is because it's part of what we're talking about today. I said that the powers that be, the two or 3,000 people that actually run this world that are the multi-multi-billionaires, were going to step down on the hose of international trade and truncate the supply. Because I'm going to assure you, and we're going to get into this today and talk about it, they're wiping out the patriot economy. When I say they, in our country specifically, I mean the Democrat Party and the Biden administration policy and Fed policy, which has jacked interest rates way up and made it impossible for a small business person like me, your humble servant, to stay in business under these circumstances. They're putting so much pressure on people like me, and then it's survival of the fittest. And then my attitude is, up yours, you're not getting me. Now, come on, is this a friendly business environment? Does it need to be this way? No, it does not. It's being done on purpose, and we're going to talk about it today, tonight, excuse me. But I was talking with my my uh, close and very dear friend, Rob, who is my uh, my business associate. We're, we're partners. We love each other. And we're having an argument about them truncating the supply of goods and goods coming over from Asia, which is going to put a lot of people in the dirt. And he said, they're never going to do it. And I said, you know what? I bet you they are. And he said, how much you want to bet? And then I got scared. I said, let me think about it. Because, you know, betting makes you very serious about betting. And I said, well, I'm going to see you on Thursday. We'll figure it out then. So I'm putting, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm going to play, put a little friendly wager down on this issue. And it's a serious issue. We're going to talk about it. So a little friendly wager, we're doing it all the time. Let's support my bookie. All right. I said I'd talk a little bit last time about AOC saying that entrepreneurs are goofy and mentally ill. And I couldn't find it. And I don't know why I couldn't find it. But I'm going to just say to you again, I'm going to keep looking for it. Because what the left believes, the left, the far, and AOC is not really in the far left. She's a poser. She's actually a uniparty supporter of the highest order. The controlled opposition, so to speak. But the far left, the Cornell West leftists, and you know Cornell West is a philosopher at Harvard who has declared that he's running for the nomination in the Democrat Party to be the Democrat Party presidential candidate. He's very well known. He's very articulate. He's very educated. And he is a firebrand. And he's a communist. So this kind of thinking, they think people like me, there's something wrong with me. And I'm going to tell you, there is. To do what I do as an entrepreneur indicates a certain level of psychological dysfunction. You have to. You have to become very focused on what you're doing if you're a business person, and you have to really take a lot of risk, the kind of risk that is abnormal. So when you ask or when psychologists study 
what are the attributes of a successful entrepreneur? I'm going to ask you, what do you think the attributes are of a successful self-employed person? And if you're self-employed, you know the answer. But let's say you're working for a crazy like me. What is the attribute? And people are going to say, well, they're smart. Oh, they're hardworking. Oh, they're lucky. No. The number one unifying attribute of a successful business owner is the ability to function under great stress and anxiety. So that means, hey, who would do that to themselves? They must be goofy. And I'm going to tell you why I do it. I refuse personally, and I'm not saying anybody in the audience needs to think this way. I'm a tough nut to crack. I cannot work for other people. I can't do it. It's a psychological dysfunction. I'm a lone wolf. I just am. It's not healthy. That's why I'm making the transition from narcissism to altruism. In this business, in this, in this business that we're sharing together, this community, I'm completely altruistic. I'm recording this in the middle of my business day. I'm not doing my business. I got people in my business are pissed at me. And being with you is more important. So I'm making that that transition into an altruistic frame of mind because I love America and I love America because, let me read this. I paged by it. I love America because of this paragraph. This is why I love it. And I read it all the time and I'm going to keep reading it till I memorize it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, <clears throat> that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That's the line that does it for me that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I just love that line. I love living in a country that acknowledges that there's a God. And I'm very aware that there's a tremendous effort in, that, in this country by very powerful people to snuff that out because my love of that makes my master God. And I was never able to find a business person that I could work for that gave me the kind of respect and love that I thought was inherent in the two great commandments. The second of which is, love your neighbor as you want them to love you. That doesn't go down in business because business has lost its sacred honor. In fact, businesses, to be successful, are really kind of semi-socialist organizations because if the owner takes everything for themselves, all the business associates hate that guy, and the business has problems. Tanner's learning how nice it is to work with me. He's learning it because I care about how he thinks. He's a, he's tough not to crack because there's 40 years in between us, but he's realizing he's working with people now that really care about him. It's kind of dawning on him slowly. It, you know, it's slow, and I want this kind of sentiment that we care one for another to be in every business. It's incumbent upon the business owners, to work with their people, not as employees, but as co-workers. That's how we have to change the country. Because what ends up happening, of course, is when we don't have that attitude and there's paradigm shifts and we get brand new industries like tech, we get these people that are titans of industry that do not care about you and me. They see us as inventory. They don't see us as children of gods. Gods, excuse me, Father. 
They don't see us as the children of God. They see us as inventory to exploit because they're Darwinists. They listen to a different God. That's probably why I use the word God. You know, this stuff is deep. A brief touch on the Hatfields and the McCoys. We left off on that. Tanner didn't know the Hatfields and McCoys. It's a great American story. It's the story of politics by other means. The Hatfield-McCoy feud, or also known as the Hatfield-McCoy conflict, involved two American families of the West Virginia, Kentucky area along the Tug Fork of the Big Sandy River. Listen to this. From 1863 to 1891, that's a long-lasting grudge. The Hatfields of West Virginia were led by William Anderson, the Devil Hatfield, while the McCoys of Kentucky were under the leadership of Randolph McCoy. Now, these people went hammer and tong for 30 years, and they weren't hammer and tonging it at the local political convention. These people were killing each other. I mean, they were killing each other wholesale. And, you know, they, the, the, there was many incidents of violence. Uh, the first one uh, was in 1864. The second one was in 1878. There was a dispute about the, the ownership of a hog. Think about this now. Okay, this is people really getting down. There was a dispute about the ownership of a hog. Floyd Hatfield, a cousin of the, the big dog, owned the hog, but Randolph McCoy claimed it as his. These people took the matter into their own hands, and, uh, you know, there was some killings. And that this feud just continued to escalate after this. Now, I don't want to get into all the different killings, because these people killed each other. Lots of people died. They had their own little border war there, the Hatfields and McCoys. They had the New Year, they had a New Year massacre. That was when the feud reached its peak in 1888. A lot of people died. They had a battle of Grapevine Creek. These people had their own personal little conflict, their own little war in the hills there. Well, you know, this is a failure of politics and a breakdown of rule of law. And when I say it's a failure of politics, uh, what we have here is a political strategy. It's a political strategy. The Hatfields and the McCoys are a good setup for this because it's kind of like the Democrats and the Republicans, okay? Or the left and the right. This is becoming the Hatfields and the McCoys. We got Antifa on the left and we got the Proud Boys on the right. And these people want to get down. They want to fight with each other. And as, a vice, and as I've said, what happens in the street happens in the street. But when that sentiment of violence and emotional violence works its way into the actual political process, the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites that control our society, because we are a society of law, rule of law, if we let those angers percolate up to where they're in the political process, the American citizens lose every time, every time, because these scribes and these Pharisees and these hypocrites control the levers of power. We got to work these people out by a strategy, the strategy. And I just want to review it briefly. 
We talked about it last time, but we're going to keep talking about it because guess what? I'm developing it while I'm talking to you. That's correct. <laughs> you know, it'd be nice if I could say, hey, follow me. I know what I'm doing. Let me tell you what it is to be me, and I hope to be you. It's nice to have long-range planning, but long-range planning, as soon as the game starts, it's only good for a couple of plays. What I do is I think about what's my next step. What do I have to do today? I didn't plan on doing this, this podcast today. I didn't plan on filling in on Please Call Me Crazy today. Royce and I talked this morning. He got another engagement, and up the road he went. He didn't fly back to the studio. So I didn't know that this was going to happen. I have to be flexible. I know what I have to do next. And that's all I'm focused on. And I'm going to tell you why that is. And you're going to relate to this. How many of you can feel that we're living in very uncertain times, unprecedented? Do you agree with me? If you agree with me, some of you pop into the live chat and say, yes, I agree. I've never felt it like this. It is very uncertain. It's day to day. We have three theaters of potential nuclear war. We have an economy, no matter what they tell us in the press. I don't listen to them. I'm in business. The ass is not going to fall off the donkey. The ass has fallen off the donkey already. Business is in the, we're in a doldrum, okay? No one has any money. Now, yes, if you're watching and you're very blessed, I got a friend of mine. I got another friend of mine. I got friends that got money. God bless them. They're doing great. No man can curse who God is blessed. I appreciate these people. But for most of us, this is a very emotionally triggering time. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Maybe you're all good out there. Maybe you are. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. But I'm going to tell you from my perspective, every day I wake up and I have no idea what's going to be in the newspaper. I mean, we're living in a, a wild moment. There's a semblance of normalcy over the top of it. But really, I can't tell you what's going what's to pop up tomorrow. It's, it's unprecedented in my lifetime. So I have a strategy. What is that strategy aimed at doing? It's aimed at the strategy's goal is to enhance the well-being of the American people such that life becomes joyful, that our futures are more likely to be satisfactory, that we have the strength and the well-being to raise children, to take care of our elders, to take care of each other, and to stay out of the hospital, to stay away from attorneys, to avoid any kind of law enforcement problems, to focus on ourselves, well-being, and spread it out amongst all of our community members. So we feel good. We, After all, we do want to feel good. I do. I can't remember the last time I truly felt good. I mean, I feel good every day. I'm full of positive energy. But actually just going, whoo, I think I'm going to go see the baseball game this afternoon. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's an all-hands-on-deck moment. 
So this strategy, it's not about winning. I was talking to another friend of mine that I love today, and uh, she was talking about winning and losing. I thought to myself, boy, I don't have any desire to win. How can I win if my opponent is other American citizens? My goal is the restoration of an American community that can talk one to another with love and concern. We're not going to agree with each other. What we need is new messaging and new policy that creates a new constituency of Americans that wish to move past the arguments that our elites have put upon us and used to divide us so they can control us. That's the con, right? We're in a con game. I talked about it last time. Talk about it every time because we're, we're in a classic long con. And they are dividing us so that they can take everything away from me that I have. And that kind of pisses me off. And when you wake up to a con, the con fails. All we're trying to do with the crowdsourcing and asking to spread out this information is to build a community of people that are red-pilled, so to speak. If we're not taking our red pills, hey, if you're on the blue pill, first of all, if you're on the blue pill, you're probably not watching this podcast. But what about all my friends and neighbors that are blue-pilled? They're so blue-pilled, they're dizzy. I mean, I got family members that are blue-pilled. I have family members that know the truth and don't care because they're so narcissistic, they're in it for the money. What the hell is that? Terrifying. Terrifying. Just terrifying. That's what it is. So our strategy is about creating well-being, and there's all these ways to go about it. One way is to get in to the political parties. That's so critical, and I'm going to tell you why it's critical. Right now, today, I don't care if you're a Democrat or you're Republican. I don't care if you're in the party or out of the party. doesn't matter. The parties are there to thought police us. All they are is instruments of social control. They are not instruments of political growth and political output. They're there to thwart that, to stop that. The real juice in politics is outside the parties where wealthy donors and wealthy businesses hire, hire, they hire their own political representatives through what's called political donations, called being on the payroll. These people have no loyalty to we the people. They don't give a, a darn about what we're doing politically in the parties. They're brought in from the outside as better candidates because they have the cash. They get elected, and us dummies are supposed to go out and work for these people, and they don't have a shred of loyalty to me. And the only way we're ever going to change this, the only way we're really going to get representative government, because we don't have it right now. And I'll tell you why we don't. I'll ask you a question. How many of you want to die over the Ukraine? Are you willing to die over this thing? Ask yourself, are you willing to watch your children die before your eyes? over the Ukraine. How many of you want to be $33 trillion in debt as an American community? It's hundreds of thousands of dollars for every living man, woman, and child in this country and getting more by the second. Who really wants to be in debt like this, to be debt slaves? Who wants to hate each other? Hey, if you're a hater and you're in the Please Call Me Crazy audience, uh, that's between you and Royce. If you're in the Professor Penn audience, please go join the American Nazi Party and disappear. You know, if you're commit, 
If you're committed to healing your hatred, like I talked at the beginning of the podcast of me making up a story in my mind, hey, we have a lot of funky ideas, all of us. I'm committed to healing mine. If you're committed to healing yours, wherever you are on your walk, I love you. But if you're committed to hanging on to eugenicist thinking, racist thinking, anti-Semitic thinking, if you're committed to that, hey, the American Nazi Party needs you and wants you. Please go join them. Get out of the Republican Party and get out while the getting is good. Because I'm asking many of you as part of this strategy, please come into the party and we're going to talk a lot about how to do it. I mean, a lot. And I'm going to tell you right now in Minnesota, we have what's called caucuses. And I only talk about Minnesota as an example for every other state because some kind of party process like Minnesota exists in every state. That's why precinctstrategy.com is such a good resource for you. There's a communication platform there with people that you can talk to maybe in your own neighborhood. But all this information is there about how to get organized. And in Minnesota, we have what's called a caucus system, which is on February 27, 2024. And the caucuses will be held. Just a funny, it's a funny word for getting together. It's a neighborhood get together. And it's going to be held at the local school in your precinct because our, we, our state is divided into 63, I think it's 63 Senate districts. Each Senate district sends one senator to the Minnesota legislature and two uh, legislators. So there's two House members and one Senate member from every Senate district. And within each district, there's a number of precincts, 30 or 40 precincts per district. Each precinct has its own caucus. Isn't that cool? That's the two or 3,000 people that live in your neighborhood. You're going to get a call or you're just going to have to figure it out because Professor Penn's going to tell you about it. You go to that caucus and you actually have a precinct. You're actually separated in that Senate district, into your precinct, into your neighborhood. And if you go with your neighbors, if you, if you meet your neighbors and say, you know what? It's a really funky year. I'm scared. Are you scared? Do you feel safe? Maybe we should get involved and go do something about this. I'm going to go get in the game of politics. I'm going to get my will into the equation of, I'm not going to just sit here and complain. What am I getting done here? And you go to caucus from your precinct with your neighbors. You actually can elect each other to be delegates. What is a delegate? A delegate has a vote. At what's going to be very shortly thereafter, it's going to be your Senate District Convention. You're going to go to that Senate District Convention, and you'll have a vote on who and what and where happens in the party, be it Democrat or Republican. You actually now have political power. You've gone from narcissism, which is sitting around complaining, to altruism, taking your time to actually getting involved in helping the American citizens fix these problems, and restore power to the people. Power to the people. That doesn't mean necessarily only getting in the streets and thrusting your fist, fist in the air. No, it means taking these political parties back from the functionaries, the thought police, that are there just to keep you from doing it. And the primary, the primary method they have to keep the American citizen from being involved in politics is, guess what? They're assholes. And who wants to hang around with an asshole? But if thousands of us come into this process and we come in with the idea of human well-being, guess what? 
Now the well-being people have taken over. Wouldn't that be great? So we're going to talk a lot about it, and that's why we're doing the podcast, is to get you organized and remove the veil from the secret society that is party politics so you understand it, you can get into it, and you can prevail. And I mean prevail, prevail. That would be called victory. I don't like to talk about victory because if we come in and we form a community, that's the goal. People that talk one to another with respect and listen one to another. But there's so many other things to do. There's so many other things to do. The crowdsourcing idea, you be an editor, you take this content and all the other content you see as being valuable to you, Mr. and Mrs. Editor, and send it out to everybody you know and teach them to send it out to everybody they know. Oh, that's a tsunami wave of truth. Whoa. The, the powers that be can't deal with that. That's exactly how the Soviet Union came unglued. They had an official narrative spewing out 24 hours a day. It was called Pravda, the state media. And they were telling a story, and the people are looking around and saying, that's not true. They started talking to each other. There was a very famous um, part of the Soviet Union's freedom movement that led to the Russian Federation, the end of communism. His name was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was a novelist. He was very famous. And I can't remember exactly what he said, so please forgive me if someone in the audience is better at this than me. But he said something like this, because it really typifies where we're at. We know that they're lying. They know that we know that they're lying. We know that they know that we know they're lying, and still they lie. That's why this is Truth Media. That's why sending this out, if that's your contribution to freedom, critical, critical, speaking to your friends and neighbors, having the courage to speak out, and it does take courage. And courage is contagious. So if I can share my courage with you, and you know what Royce and I are doing is risky, because you see what they're doing to the front line of the freedom movement. The, you know, like, for example, the Steve Bannons, under indictment. For example, President Trump, under indictment, multiple indictments. Now, I'm not comparing myself to these great leaders. But, you know, in every attack, and we are, we're fighting back, there are people that get sacrificed for freedom. I think it was Thomas Jefferson said that the tree of liberty is refreshed by the blood of patriots. You know, this is just the way the deal works. I don't want it to be this way. And I have all kinds of suggestions that I like to see our American culture change in the future if and when we, we get this community put together. And the fundamental is, hey, politics is not your civic responsibility. When they tell you it's vote, they're screwing you. You, we've all been, I mean, these people have misled us intentionally at a profound level. They tell us, vote, please vote. They give you the sticker and you've done your deal. You haven't done your deal. That's a scam. That's a con. We are to self-govern. Self-govern. That means we don't depend on a federal government that's grown as big as a whale. We got to shrink this thing down. And how do we do it? Personal responsibility, self governance, self governance. Now, the way this thing gets fenced around the campfire is, you know, it's very selfish. 
No, it's not. Setting yourself free of professionals is critical. I mean, is there any... Now, I know there are people that like to do it. Why? Because my father was one of them. Some people like going to the doctor because they're cared about there. They feel warm and fuzzy. But really, how many of us really like going to the doctor? Tanner, do you go to the doctor? I haven't been to the doctor since I graduated high school. Great. That must mean you don't <laughs> like going there, right? No, I hate going there. Yeah. Well, of course, we all hate it because we're inventory there. We don't like it. On top of it, it's scary. Wouldn't it be great if we lived in a culture that taught us how to stay well instead of intention? I'm going to say, got to be careful about this because of the platform. You know, the choices we make about what we eat and how we exercise and how we breathe and how we walk and the chemicals in our environment, you know, these are all cultural rules. And I'm accepting a lot of things that are just simply unacceptable. I've put five children through the elementary, junior high, high school, and college system. Five. And they know a lot because they're my kids, but, you know, I watched what they were taught, and they were not taught how to be well. They were taught how to be leftists. They were taught not to believe in God. They were taught a lot of things. But how to stay centered and stay well was not part of the curriculum. In fact, what they gave them as that part of the curriculum was anti-wellness. And boy, does that make me mad. See, that's when you know this is not all accidental. Some of this stuff is on purpose. And that, that, that's why we need truth commissions. You know, you can pray and study. You have to see it for yourself. That's a valuable thing to be doing as part of the strategy. So there's letter writing. We talked about going and finding out who your elected representatives are. Take 10 minutes a day and send your elected rep. Take an hour. Take a half hour. Identify who is the two senators in your state. Who are your congressmen? Who's your congressman or congresswoman? Who is representing you in your local state house? You can write these. It's going to be one, two, three, four, five, six, six people. Write six letters a day. I mean, you can just copy and paste. I don't want to die because of this Ukraine drama. Dear Senator so-and-so, or in my state, dear Senator Amy Klobuchar, dear Senator Tina Smith in Minnesota, my two Minnesota senators. Dear Senator Klobuchar, I am the father of five children. I do not want to see them die because of this battle in the Ukraine. Therefore. I demand you stop funding this conflict. Sincerely, David Penn, American citizen. Hey, if she got 500,000 emails like this today, believe me, she'd change her tune like that because she doesn't want to give up her job in show business. All she's got to do is show up every day and be Amy Klobuchar. She doesn't really work. She acts like she works. She doesn't work. She doesn't work like you and me. She's paid to be Amy Klobuchar, and she's paid a lot. We should take a look at what her net worth is and what her net worth was before she came as, became a senator. That will be an interesting research. Whoa. You know, like our, our um, congressperson from CD6, Representative Tom Emmer. I don't know if this is true. I'm just reporting what I see on the Internet. But when he went to Congress, which was not that long ago, 
as they say in New York. He was not worth bupkis. Go look it up. He's quite a well-heeled dude these days. Huh? The more public service I do, the less money I have. Really? I'm altruist. How is it these people are piling up all this cash when they're doing the people's business? And that's because they're not doing the people's business. And if you want to change this with this movement, this people's movement, all the racists, all the anti-Semites, all the xenophobes and homophobes, please go join the American Nazi Party so the movement is not discredited. Please, if you're violent, get a handle on your violence because we'll be discredited. Join the movement and let's get into these parties and get candidates that actually are loyal to the people. It's all we have to do. It just takes work. And of course, we don't want to do the work because we'd rather get high. Okay, this goes down to the bottom line. We're trading our freedom for convenience. When your freedom's gone, you won't have any convenience because they're going to tell you what to do. Is this really a good trade, trading our self-governance for convenience? And do we trust the people who are making things convenient for us? Well, no, we don't. And I'm going to just share with you why. I want to talk about I want to talk about trade in the half hour we have left today. This is a subject that I've thought about quite a bit. And when I say trade, I mean trade. Trade. Like I have something and you want it, and I give it to you in exchange for something, like a dollar bill. So I'm going to give you a real something, and you're going to give me back a piece of paper. Great. <laughs> I wonder when people figure that out, how that's going to work out. You know, trade goes back to the way back. I mean, all the way to the way back. Human beings have been trading with each other forever. And let me tell you how it worked, at least according to anthropologists that I've read. If I'm down on one end of the valley, and there's another group of people that are down on the other end of the valley, let's say we're three miles apart, walking distance, we're going to get together and trade, and we're going to intermarry amongst these groups, or we're going to kill each other, or we're going to do both. But when there's no trade, when goods, and, when goods and services, this is the judgment, when goods and services stop crossing borders, armies start. And I'm not sure if that's right or wrong. In fact, as I think about it sitting here with you, I think it's kind of a scam to put in place a free trade architecture. And let's talk about how trade developed. So, you know, when people are just in a very natural way, and the trading is very organic at the level of me and you. Like, um, I have a daughter you want, and you have a cow I want. Let's cut a deal. My daughter for your cow. Sounds kind of crappy, doesn't it? But hey, we got to take responsibility for how, how uh, off track we can get. As trade developed over time, as technology developed over time and humans could start to traverse long distances, trade really started to develop. And it really has not changed very much since the English came up with an international uh, navy, a maritime, which allowed them to project power and trade all over the world. That's why the British had the British Empire, because they got out there up front with the Industrial Revolution. They developed the technology and 
other countries did too, the technology of travel over the seas. And the British had a little bit of an extra thing that would be called the Industrial Revolution. They got very good at killing people. So, you know, as trade developed and it became an international, an international affair, all this architecture grew up around it. And pretty much everything you're seeing today, all the conflict that you're seeing, everything is about trade. How are countries and companies going to trade with each other to make money? I mean, that's really what the whole deal is about. And all the fighting that you see is a fight over the split. And what are we trading in? You know, all of these issues are what we're fighting over. Now, you're not going to find this a surprise, but I'm going to say it. And when I say it myself, I find it quite striking every time I say it. If you're a, a student or a, a, a devotee of the British intellectual tradition, in other words, Darwinism, what you say to yourself is, if I'm strong enough to make you my slave, that proves you should be my slave. Isn't that a great bit of reasoning? Okay, these people are not Christians. Let's get... They might have had a church, and they might have gone on Sunday. But when your basic operating modality is, if I'm strong enough to take your shit away from you, that means I should? That's not got nothing to do with the gospel of Christ. Zero. So these people went out and perpetrated this trading architecture, this slavery, drugs, and piracy architecture, because they had the technology to pursue this on an international basis. And as we've talked about many times on the Professor Penn podcast, this thing has been brought into the United States intellectual tradition, and this kind of Darwinist, eugenicist philosophy pervades our entire intellectual elite cohort. You know, and it's so bad, just to let you know, just to let you know, that since I've been a very, very young person, very young. I have been beset with anxiety and stress disorder because of my awareness of what these people think and what they're willing to do. And part of it is, you know, a big percentage of my family was killed by this philosophy in the Ukraine. I've talked about it many times. I've, I've told the story. I know who these people are that were killed. It's part of our family legacy. I don't sleep well. I just don't sleep well. And I sweat and I toss and I turn. And Mrs. Professor Penn is not happy about it. And so I'm so happy that we have as another sponsor, as part of the Patriot Economy, ghostbed.com. Please go there. Take a look at their entire catalog of accoutrement for your bedroom. They have a mattress. It has a cooling material technology, which is going to cool me off when I sleep so I don't sweat the bed out, which is so embarrassing for me. And I've said this before, it can be a serious symptom. But since I've been doing it my entire life, I don't think it's going to kill me. It's just going to piss off Mrs. Professor Penn. And it does. It really pisses her off. So, I mean, this is a great technology. It's very important for me. Pillowcases, pillows, sheets, everything that you need for your bedroom. Go to ghostbed.com, use promo code ROYCE, 40% off on the entire catalog. Please go there today. 
please, I'm, I'm asking you, of course we don't back. I'm asking you, put some of your money into the advertisers, the Patriot economy, so that this broadcast has your support. This is the way you do it, unless you want to make a direct donation. And I'm not precluding that. But our, our advertisers are my primary concern. Target.com, MyBookie.com, GhostBed.com. GhostBed, they have a tremendous product. So please go to GhostBed, use promo code Royce, receive your 40% discount, start to be their customer. Let's support them the way they're supporting us. And I want to thank you so much for doing so. And I need to do it because I want to alleviate the anxiety that comes from knowing that there are people on this planet today that want to use every bit of their skill and power to take away everything that I have, including my freedom. And the fight is about trade. They're arguing over the split. Globalism, the globe, remember we talked about the con, the long con? The long con was to create a global governance, a global governance that all of us accepted that removed our citizenship and our country's sovereignty and subordinate my citizenship and my country's sovereignty to a globalized architecture of elites, technocrats, technocrats, that would tell me how I was supposed to live my life. And you know what? If it was done with sacred honor, let's remember what the outcome of the New Testament is supposed to be. Global governance under God. So obviously, there's a way to have a global governance that is filled with beauty and well-being and sacred honor. And that's up for you and me to live our lives of goodness. Then they can't get to us. But the way it is now, when people are so perverted by greed and lust and all the human frailties that pervade our technocrats who tell themselves they're is no God. Therefore, all the human frailties are now strengths. What's evil is now good. Hey, these people, they're not playing on the same football side of the football that Professor Penn's on. They're on the other side of the football, and they're pushing us down the field because they have control of the law. We're going to have to work as a community to take this back. And watching trade in my adult life since 1987, I've watched the evolution of how trade has been used by the elites to control the country and to make us poor. You know, trade, if it's you and me trading something, it's a benefit to both of us. But when technology creates a globalized architecture of trade, the benefits of trade are so far away from me that I can become its victim. And when the only benefit of trade is lowering the price, we all become Marxists because if the only thing that matters is price, not human dignity, not the value of human work, not the value of human well-being, just the price I pay at the big box stores for whatever I'm buying that's made overseas, and it undermines our entire economy, hey, somebody's messing with us. And here's how it got messed with. And this is something I know about. We're going to talk about it. You know, to have a factory in, let's say, Chaska, Minnesota, 
to have a factory there, you got to have the right business-friendly policies to afford to open that factory. You got to have an educated, motivated workforce that you treat with love, so that they're doing the job. You can't treat them like you know, like inventory, or the job doesn't get done right. So you have to have the right state policies. You have to have the right federal policies. You have to have the right work rules. You have to have an educated workforce. Then you have to have a bank, a bank, because the bank's always involved. Because us first-generation entrepreneurs, we don't have bupkis. We just got ideas. And we go to the financiers and we say, look, we got a little money here. We're going to go all in because we're, we're not risk-averse. We're risk-takers. We're going to go all in. Could you please help us? And you know what they said? This goes back into the 70s. Because what happened after World War II, this worked pretty well. There was always conflict and fighting. But up until World War II, the end of World War II, international trade was like ebb and flow. It ebbed and it flowed. And we had a two-political party system here, then as we do now. And I'm just going to typify this make perfect sense. Guess who was the free traders? Who was the free traders of our political history? Going all the way back to the formation of the country. And who were the America industry people? Well, I think you know, but I'm going to tell you. The Democrat is the free trader. And the Republican is the party of American production, of American business. And it was very clear. These two groups battled it out up until 1945. They battled it out. The Republican wanted high tariffs and wanted to incentivize American manufacturing and protect it. Hey, the Democrat, hey, they're slave traders. There's nothing more free trade than trade in human beings. That's their business model, slavery. So if you're going to trade in people, of course you're a free trader. You don't want any barriers. And that's why we had that battle between the North and the South called states' rights. The Yankee said, we're going to create rules that prevent free trade in people. Didn't seem like a lot to ask for, right? Oh, the South said, you're infringing on my freedoms. What about my states' rights? I only joined this union because I had a say in it on states' rights. And guess what happened? The federal government won, the North won, and it led to a vast expansion of federalism to enforce upon the South the end of human trafficking, or at least the legalized end of human trafficking, the legalized end of it. We still got a lot of human trafficking, and we're going to find out it's the same people, not the exact same people. The philosophy that holds one race superior and another inferior and views people as inventory. That resides in a certain kind of philosophy, and that would be Darwinist, eugenicist philosophy. The Republican, that was the party of faith, the party of God. What happened? How did this thing get so screwed up? You can't even see this now, but I can see it. And I know exactly how it got screwed up. It was called the scientific method. When those two atom bombs dropped at the end of World War II, and antibiotics popped up, and you didn't have to die because you stepped on a nail. Because, you know, before antibiotics, you stepped on a nail, hey, it was 50-50. You might make it, you might not make it. Now you get a little blood infection, and you see that creeping up your leg. 
your legs turning red, off to urgent care you go, you take a couple days of penicillin, and guess what? You're good to go. The way it used to be, hey, Bill, Bill stepped out of nail. He's dead, Bill, now. We buried him. How old was he? 17. You know, we've, we got so much benefit out of science. Us, you know, because we're just figuring this out. We got so much benefit. We gave up our traditional party divisions of the party of God and the party of Darwin. And we kind of all went into this party of Darwin thing. I mean, all of us. And I was just at a meeting and everybody was ripping on these uh, quote unquote rhinos in the Minnesota Republican Party. There's a big group of people, big. It's 2023. And there's, we got to do this to these people. I say, hey, cool the, cool the rhetoric here now. Cool it. I have a question for you, group of America patriots. How many of you people voted for George Bush in 2002 or 2000? How many of you voted for George Bush in 2000? And every Republican in the room, hand up. Kind of an old group, right? As I said, the Republican Party, the average age is 462 years old. We don't get any young people like Tanner in there, although I'm working on it. Anyhow, there isn't one 20-year-old person I've ever seen at a Republican Party event. Really? That's how sad this is. Hmm. Anyhow, I digress. I said to these people, we all voted for George Bush. I, I went back further for the older people. How many of you voted for George Bush the senior? And every hand went up my age. And I said to these people, looking back on these guys, does this seem like the kind of folks we really want representing us? Because George Bush the senior, he was the first person to say in public on national television, we have a new world order. Oh, you know, ex-CIA agent, you know, this guy was as spooky as spooky gets. The new world order, exposed to me by George Sr. And the son took the country off on a wilding in the Middle East. We haven't even gotten ourselves out of that deal yet. Globalist, globalist, globalist. There's a globalist. This whole Democrat-Republican thing kind of turned into a scam just to, dis just to distract us and confuse us. It's nationalist and globalist now. And the Bushes were globalists. They were free traders. They were free traders. They were free traders. That's what the Democrat was. No, that's what the globalists were. The Republican Party became infected with science and globalism after World War II because, hey, we were large and in charge. Our will be done. We won. We dropped the bomb. That must be the way to go. They call it the post-World War II democratic liberal order, democratic liberal order, but the Republicans were in on it, and I mean all of them. Everybody, except who? Uh, Joe McCarthy, the John Birchers, people that the liberal press black-brushed, broad-stroked as being racist and anti-Semites. And if you go listen to the John Birch Society, you read their literature that they had out in the 50s, and these people were considered fringe, fringe. And they were fringe as regards their anti-Semitism and their racism. But the ideas that we're losing our national character through a movement towards globalism, these people were prophetic. We were the ones that were sleeping. And it was all about trade. 
Because what does trade represent? Money-making. Money-making. Now, we're not talking about trading beads for whiskey. That's very personal. And I'm sorry, that's a kind of a loaded trade. But that's what they did. You know, we'll get you high and take all your shit away, including your land. That's who these Darwinists are. You know, if they can get us to give up our land and our equity in exchange for convenience, hey, we're suckers. We take it every time. Remember what I said? One of the things you can do as part of the strategy, carry cash. Quit using your credit cards. Quit making online payments. Gum these people up. You vote every day with your money. Vote for your freedom in everything you do. Patriot economy. Carry cash. They want to take that cash away from you. I heard that, that Whole Foods, owned by Amazon, is going to an implantable chip. I got to verify it. But there's going to be palm readers in there. You don't even have to carry a credit card. Your palm is going to get the debit. They're moving to a cashless society. They're going to take your freedom away with that. We're going to have to talk about that a lot. But as we got into this trade thing, as, as technology grew and uh, the capacity grew and the, and the trade got country to country at big industrial levels, the banks in this country, the banks, the banks, let's not rip on the banks today. That's a whole podcast. They realized that if you have a factory in Chaska and you've lent that entrepreneur, let's say $50 million to build a factory, he's got equipment in there, two, 3,000 employees. What if those two, 3,000 employees get organized by the AFL-CIO and they go on strike for better wages? Now that entrepreneur can't make the payments to the bank. Can't make the payments because there's labor unrest. Or let's say there's a fire and the plant burns down. Can't make the payments to the bank. Let's say the entrepreneur crumbles underneath the, the stress and dies and the sons don't want the business and can't make the payments to the bank. The equipment, the productive equipment that the bank lent the money for is very risky. Way more risky than inventory, because with inventory, all you do is sell the inventory off, you liquidate, and you get your cash back. The way it works is the bank's loan against inventory of about 60% of the value. So if you got a million dollars of inventory, the bank will give you $600,000. You got $400,000 of your own money in that game. If things don't work out and they liquidate the inventory, the bank takes its uh, piece and you're left with that whatever you're left with. And they pick that 60% because they know they're going to get their money even if they have to take all of yours. They don't care. That's why you got to be a little bit mentally goofy to be an entrepreneur because you got everything you have up on the bar every day. That's why to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to know how to function under high stress. Well, these bankers said, we don't want this risk. We just want the cream. We don't want the milk. And they set up the Chinese to do the manufacturing, and I'll tell you why. There's no dissent in China. Here's how they handled it over there. The There's five stars on the Chinese flag. One of them is the workers. The workers got a star on the flag, and that's all they get. They get slave wages, or at least they did when this China thing started. Now, they've, 
they've pulled out and they're doing their own thing. But at the beginning, I'm talking about after Kissinger and Nixon opened China in 73, and the China trade developed into the 80s and the 90s, they had an enormous pool of young people that would work at slave wage levels. When they, when they set up a factory, they set up an apartment building right by the factory where all the workers lived on site in the apartment building, packed in there like sardines. This thing was efficiency personified. It was human beings as inventory. So our banks outsourced. They would not lend for the manufacturing. And companies like Bain Capital, which was uh, Mitt Romney's company, started to strip American companies of their intellectual property and their means of production and ship that equipment and that knowledge into China and other Asian countries to achieve low-cost production, long supply chain on the water with huge international globalist shipping companies, with long supply chains, and they moved the whole U.S. economy away from production to consumption, from equity, that would be net worth, to debt. And none of that was an accident. It was done very intentionally by our elites, because what did it do? It had eliminated our freedom. Our middle class is shrinking. There aren't jobs. There aren't good jobs anymore. Families cannot survive on one income. It takes both parents to work to make ends meet. Who's taking care of the kids? <laughs> Who's taking care of the kids? Well, that'd be your Marxist elementary school teacher. And when they come home, the video games, they teach them how to be Satanists. Isn't that great? And we don't even know what's going on. When's the last time you watched the video games that your kids are playing? Tanner, do you play video games? I play a lot of video games. You play, yeah. Would you say that there's some images in those video games that someone my age might find to be triggering? I could see that, but uh, being a part of video games, I can promise you that it's not as deep as you might suspect it to. Um, not speaking for all games, though. I'm sure there are a lot of games that are heavily sat satanic, but for the most part, they're really not. Well, that's just where you're going. That's where you work with Professor Penn. Yeah. If you were captured by dark energies, I wouldn't like you. So the, the, the point I'm bringing out here is, is we've, we've created a culture. And when I say we, we traded our freedom for convenience. But the elites that did this, and there aren't that many of them, I mean, maybe 10,000 people are running us a, a, around like we're a herd of lemmings. 10,000? Maybe it's 2,000. Maybe when you get down to it, it's a council of 100 or 200 people. And then the 10,000 is their minions. There aren't that many people that are doing this to us. They're creating a very unwell culture because it weakens us and allows them to control us. So in this trade thing, the government has control of trade through what's called trade policy. And the current trade policy architecture goes back to the Smoot-Hawley Act, which was passed in the early 1930s. And the Smoot-Hawley Act has a provision in it called anti-dumping. And what anti-dumping is, is it's a tax, a punitive tax that's placed on a country for a specific product that our government decides is being dumped 
into the United States of America, and that product is undermining or could undermine the jobs of American citizens. That act was created to protect your job, to protect my job. And I have to tell you, the globalism that came after World War II forgot about the dignity of my work, the importance of me having a good job, the importance of having enough one job per family so that a family can actually be a family. All that was eliminated. And you say, well, could all these things really be interrelated? And I'm going to tell you, unfortunately, when you tumble down that rabbit hole, the hole, when you go all the way down to the bottom and you start reading all the source material, there were actual institutes that thought all this stuff up. They thought it up. Tanner, while I'm finishing out here, get ready that one video on Herman Kahn that I put in. We're going to go out with that. So this trade architecture was set up to, was set up to protect your job. And it's not being used currently in a way that's protecting our jobs. We, are, we have outsourced our production, the good, high-paying jobs that made this country great. And we all know this, but I'm going on record as saying, we, the American people, have got to reindustrialize, bring back these jobs, and support this patriot economy if we're ever going to get our human freedom and our human well-being reestablished. Because if you're working way underneath what you're capable of and you're getting paid nothing for a, a full day's worth, if you have nothing, you know, the World Economic Forum's, you know, great meme, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Hey, brainwash me all you want. That's not going to get Professor Penn happy. I'm going to be very unhappy if they take everything away that I own and they're working on it every day. And I want to I wanna just say that this trade architecture, this is the news that matters. How is our government arranging our trade relationships with other countries? And if you go back, and I'm not here to pitch Trump yes or no. I'm just saying if you go back and think back to the Trump era and the amount of time he put into talking about made in America and trying to redo our trade agreements, and he successfully redid a trade agreement with Mexico and Canada. He replaced NAFTA, which was a Clinton era and a Bush era agreement with the United States, Canada, Mexico free trade agreement or if trade agreement wasn't free trade trade agreement. Please excuse me. Trump had a great emphasis on reestablishing the dignity of work and the viability of our families. And that's not a Trump idea. That's just a good idea. Trump was the salesman of the idea. We, the American people, have got to understand that there's trade. We are a trading nation with two oceans, and trade is important. But we must protect our families for the well-being of our families. So what you buy, when you look at a, a, a carton and you see where it's coming from, start to make some decisions. Is that a friend or a foe? Well, we're going to talk about it more and more. And I'm not saying we should not trade. We need to trade. But we need to trade in a balance because we're running up these huge trade deficits and it's draining all the money out of our country. And that's not an accident. Remember I said the goal of the long con is equity. Everyone on earth has the same. 
And that means we're all going to be poor. We worked very hard as a country to make a great country. Let us not let them take that away from us under any circumstance. Yes, I have sensitivity to what's happening in China or Barbados or Chile, but how do we deal with this? How are we going to work forward from here? And I'm going to tell you my decision. I'm going to be well myself first. That's my goal. And that's the goal of this podcast. Please come join me on the Professor Penn podcast. Please continue to come back. Royce is going to be back soon. And just to let you know how deep this rabbit hole goes, we're going to go off with a black and white from the early 1960s, from a think tank that was funded by the security state, so you can understand how long the hell we're living in has been under development. Thank you very much for joining. I look forward to seeing you soon again. Tanner, let's play that to go out. 30 miles north of New York City, the problems of our violent age are pondered over in one of America's most influential think tanks, the Hudson Institute. In this 19th century mansion, they are looking for alternative futures, both utopian and dystopian. The end product of this think tank, scenarios, scripts for the 21st century. Uh, you know, let's admit that you know, the affluence, the skills, the technology will really make life better in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we also know these things go badly. Right. Uh, okay, everybody's worried about the, uh, the possibilities of, you know, various kinds of social controls and so on. What would the scenario be? Herman Kahn is director of the Institute, Tony Wiener his assistant. Uh, it has to involve the, the social controls coming into effect gradually and um, uh, slowly and at each step as a result of some decision which seems to be very much in the general interest. That yeah. is no imposition by um, an evil, uh, evilly intended big brother. How are we going to achieve a utopian peace in our cities, even without the bomb? What is the scenario for a utopian peace? To take a black power movement, right. and one which really is trying to cause problems, to put sand in the gears. Right. And you've already set up a good deal of this social uh, watching. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got your TV cameras everywhere, you've got your data processing, everybody has his ID card, you've double-checked it. Mm -hmm. And now, all of a sudden, you've got these guys that are throwing sand in the gears, and you clamp down. That is, you keep track of every car, you keep track of every... This is easy to do. You keep track of 10% uh, or 100% of conversation that occurs on telephones. Uh, one could, um, with a computer capacity that will be available in the next couple of decades, one could easily record every phone conversation made. And then one could easily scan mechanically, no human being could spend the centuries that would be required, one could scan every conversation looking for keywords that would identify the conversation as uh, worth looking into a little further. So that, for example, uh, one could begin with a naive set of words. Uh, kill, rob, murder, assassinate, plot, uh, conspire, you know, you can do more than that. You can, uh, you could imagine temporarily tranquilizing a whole city. You know, it's been uh, upset, been riots. Mm -hmm. You know, let's put trans guards either in the air or in the water. Mm -hmm. You know, just mm -hmm. get people settled down a bit. Uh, I could imagine you could do the preventive medicine going on in this kind of state. Mm -hmm. You know, where you really check up with everybody and 
to see that they keep their drug levels right. Yes. In fact, give uh, the first thing you do when you go into uh, to work is they punch you and check your blood and see that the drug level is what it's supposed to be. So you'll you'll buy the safety uh, of your city at the expense of the privacy of individuals. And for most people, most of the time, uh, the intrusion will not be the kind of thing they'd be conscious of. So the scenario for a utopia without violence is achieved at the expense of your private life.